the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for Denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you en envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord for us, the people of God. Thank you, Russ. We continue on this summer on a journey with the parables in the New Testament, and we turn to a parable appropriate for Labor Day weekend, the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Let us pray. Wise and loving God, may the words of my mind and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you today and always. Amen. With the season of summer shifting into fall, we welcome into our lives football season once again. And so I thought I might begin with a football story. Many of you are aware of the famous head coach of the New England Patriots, Bill Belichick. Given the number of Super Bowl championships that Belichick has now won, he may go down in football history as the greatest coach at any level. But if you've ever watched Belichick on television, you know that the man is a thoughtful tactician of a coach, and his personality is as dry as toast. In fact, his conferences with the media that are post-game have become so short and boring and full of one-liners that they've actually become entertaining. Well, according to legend, back in 2017, the New England Patriots were down 21-3 to at halftime against the Atlanta Falcons in the Super Bowl. Well, Belichick, in Belichick fashion, decided that at halftime, he was not going to give any kind of motivational or rah-rah speech. And after they had made a comeback and beat the Falcons in the last seconds of the game, 
The reporters were interviewing Belichick after the game and said, what did you say to your team at halftime? It was like they came out a completely different team. How did you motivate them? And in dry, sarcastic Belichick fashion, in a story that has been backed up by his players, he shared with the media what he said at halftime. He simply walked into the locker room, took a deep breath, and said, well, guys, I guess we ought to play the second half. And then he walked out of the locker room. Play the second half. A message of encouragement that is as simple as it is meaningful. And frankly, I hear those words coming to us from Jesus in and through the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Be courageous enough to play the second half and you will be rewarded. If you want to know what I mean by this, you're going to have to walk back into the parable with me. Once upon a time, Jesus told the story about a landowner. He owned a vineyard. And according to Jesus, this landowner hired a number of different workers to get going early in the morning. Those workers got going, but then as the day went on at the third hour, sixth hour, noon time, ninth hour, even toward the eleventh hour, uh, this man who owned the vineyard was in need of more workers and would find every few hours a few workers who were just standing around doing nothing. And so the man would hire them and the workers would come in and hop in wherever they were uh, during the day to uh, continue to work for the landowner. Well, evening came and the landowner called the foreman to get all of the workers together to compensate them. Well, it turns out that the landowner decided to pay the workers who began in the fields early in the morning the exact same wage as everyone else no matter when they started. And the parable at first glance just seems so unfair. In fact, scholars will tell you that the parable of the workers in the field is probably most like the parable of the prodigal son in Luke's gospel. For you not only have a situation that's rather unfair, but you also have people who have worked all day long who at the end of the day are grumbling about the unfairness that is shown to these workers who do not deserve it. And our first reaction to this text is to add our voices to the grumpy voices and to shout, unfair. But I think we would be unwise to simply reduce this text as some kind of argument for a socialist agenda or something. There's more going on here that I would argue is incredibly hopeful and incredibly encouraging. And the encouraging word that I hear from the parable is Jesus speaking to us, play the second half. For if you do, if you get to work in the kingdom of God, no matter how late you are in your life, you will be rewarded with grace in such a way that your work and your service will be just as important, if not even more fulfilling, than if you got started at the beginning of the day. One of the key reasons why I think this parable is so important for all of us is because from time to time in our lives, we stand in the shoes of the workers in the third, sixth, ninth, eleventh hour in this parable. 
From time to time, we take on this mentality of, it's getting a little late in life, what can I really do for the kingdom of God? I remember when I was old, but now that I, uh, remember when I was young, but now when I was old, what can I really do? I remember when I was healthy, but now that I'm more fragile, what can I really do? I remember when I was a parent, but now that I'm uh, an aging parent, what can I really do? I remember back when I had energy and was working, but now I'm retired, what can I really do? I remember back when I was uh, glued in to Mr. or Mrs. Wright or glued into a hobby, and I probably should have been more involved in my service and in the life of the church, but now I have a lot of guilt and regret. What can I really do? And part of what Jesus does in telling this parable is he looks us squarely in the eyes and he says, nonsense. If that is your mentality, then you've got God wrong. For the God of heaven doesn't just want to invite you to work in the field. The God of heaven says, if you will get to work no matter whatever hour of life you are in, you will be blessed and rewarded as though you started hours ago or years ago. Some years ago, there was a writer by the name of Bob Buford who wrote a book on retirement entitled Halftime. And his book has been a bestseller now for years. And part of what Buford argues in this book called Halftime is that when we reach empty nest or when we reach retirement, the first year of retirement and then years three and following are always the best. Because in the first year of retirement, you get to do everything you didn't get to do while you were working or raising children. And in year three and following, you have hopefully discovered and found God's purpose in your second half of life. And that purpose is rather fulfilling. But the hardest year is year two, when you have to decide whether or not you're going to play the second half. Because from time to time, that mentality of excuses comes over us and we say things like, well, I remember when I worked in the for-profit world, I don't want to get involved in the nonprofit world. Or I remember when I was making money, I'm not sure I want to learn how to volunteer. Or I remember when I was a parent, I'm not sure I want to learn how to be a grandparent. And so what happens, says Buford, is that many get stuck at halftime in year two of their retirement, and they are left totally unfulfilled. Or to use the words of Jesus in this parable, they're left just kind of standing around. And this halftime dilemma, by the way, isn't just a dilemma that retirees face, but it's also a dilemma that those of us who are still working face, as I know there's some parents uh, as well as some working people in, in the congregation today also. And I'll illustrate this with a conversation that I had uh, some days ago with a dad at um, my son's school. We were talking uh, during the, the pickup time as I was picking up my son, and uh, the dad was saying, well, you know, I would have pursued that opportunity during my PKE. And I asked him, well, what does that mean, your PKE? I'm not familiar with that term. And he said, well, you know, my pre-kid era. <laughs> and we all do this no matter what stage of life we're in. Sometimes we, we say things like, well, back during the glory days or back when it was different or back uh, pre-kids or back during this time, 
I, I could have done this or this or this. And we begin to make these kinds of excuses. But God says to us through Jesus in this parable, look, don't let your shame or regret or guilt or station of your life prevent you from making a difference and playing the second half. Because if you have the courage to play the second half, you might be rewarded even more so than if you had started that making a difference from the very beginning. The scripture passage that I shared with the children for the children's message this morning, Psalm 71 verse 8, is actually the key theme of a book by the great evangelist Billy Graham, his last book toward the end of his life. He wrote a book entitled Nearing Home. And in that book, Billy Graham argued that retirement really is not a biblical concept. He mentions in the book that there is one place in an obscure passage in the Old Testament where retirement is perhaps mentioned. But he has to take a number of interpretive uh, biblical liberties to even say that. But he rather said that toward the end of his life, he lived into Psalm 71.8, which simply is the psalmist praying, God, even during this time of my life when I have gray hair, you will not forsake me. Instead, you will give me strength to preach to the generations. And that was his encouragement, to just keep playing the second half. Because even late in the game, there were rewards in store from him to be given by God. You'll recall the great line from uh, Branch Rickey many years ago. Branch Rickey was the uh, baseball executive who was the general manager for the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. And uh, Ricky was largely credited for uh, being the uh, general manager in Major League Baseball who was able to help Major League Baseball uh, break the color barrier in signing uh, Jackie Robinson, the great third baseman, uh, to a long-term contract. And toward the end of his career, uh, Ricky was 90 years old, and a, a sports media uh, reporter asked him, uh, Branch, what has been the greatest thrill of your life? And you know what he answered at the age of 90? He said, my greatest thrill, it hasn't happened yet. That's someone who believes that there's a second half still to play. And there might just be surprises and rewards that will come his way. Pastor and teacher John Ortberg shares the story of a wedding reception in which a young couple got married and they shared a first dance together. And the couple were so young and fresh in their love. And after the first dance, they've decided to uh, have this contest on the dance floor. And some of you uh, parents and grandparents may have seen this at a wedding before. But they invited all of the married couples out onto the dance floor. And uh, over time, the DJ would say, if you've been married for 10 years, go ahead and sit down. And couples would sit down. 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, got to 50 years and there was only two couples left on the dance floor. He went 51 years, 52 years, 53 years, and one couple sat down, but there was another couple that was still dancing. And they had been married for 61 years. So the MC of uh, the wedding reception, the DJ, took the microphone and gave it to the couple and said, what advice would you give to the younger couple. You've been married for 61 years. 
what would you have to share? And the couple's uh, age was such that the man had gray hair. He was about a foot taller than, than his wife. And they were a stately couple, an older couple, and they couldn't even dance really well. And uh, the older gentleman took the microphone and he said, you know, over the years we've been apart from one another in the Korean War. We lost a child in a car accident. We've both lost our jobs and we've had to move six times. But we were always ready to dance. I'm sure your first dance was pretty good. But what if there's another dance off in the future that might even be better and more surprising and rewarding than even the first? God did it for Abraham and Sarah. God did it for Noah. What's to stop God doing it for you and doing it for me? If we have the courage to play the second half. I'll close with a personal story, a pastoral care story from some 10 or 15 years ago when I was serving a church out in Texas. Uh, there was a woman in the congregation who had made the national list for being one of the oldest people on earth. I believe when I visited her, she was 112 years old. So in my uh, visit with her at the nursing home, of course, I was trying to get a leg up. So I said, what's your secret? You know, is it vitamins or broccoli? What do you do? And uh, she says back to me, she said, well, you know, young man, if you're not dead, you're not done. <laughs> and we began to talk a little bit, and she glances over to this old wooden secretary that was in the corner of her room, and she said, you know what I've been doing for many years? I have been every day of my life toward the end here writing a card to a friend or family member to bless them in some way. Birthdays or anniversaries or just some word of encouragement. And she said, some days I have to ask my helper to assist with my handwriting because of my arthritis and also because cognitively I forget where I'm at. But I've been able to do that every single day. And I asked her, well, when did you come up with this idea? When did you get started? And she says to me, your name was Beverly, well, it was right after I turned 103. <laughs> Even in the 11th hour, she decides to play in the field, to play the second half in the kingdom of God and is rewarded and blessed. If you came to worship today considering a new idea, or considering participating in something, or being involved in something, or pursuing a calling that you never quite thought you might do at this age. Hear the encouragement of Jesus. Hop in, play the second half. For really and truly, our greatest thrills and our greatest dances may not have yet happened.